You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Well, good morning and welcome. Hey, Amy. Morning. Good, good to see you. Well, it is great to be with you all. So welcome, everybody, as you're coming into this Zoom space. I'm Reverend Justin Schroeder, one of the ministers at First Universalist Church. We're in the, the last little stretch of our annual giving campaign. And rather than just say more about that, I wanted to share a very short video of what this faith community means to one of our members who is a thousand miles away from us. Let's watch that video now. In 2011, my husband Chris and I moved to the Twin Cities when he accepted a position at McAllister College. He arrived a few months before me. A 30-year devout UU, I was excited that I would have so many church options in the area. Chris started checking out churches for us. He attended First U and called me immediately to tell me he thought I would love this church and predicted that it would become my church home. He went on and on about Reverend Kate's warmth and humor and her fascinating sermon about the transcendentalist. He was right. During my first service at First U, I knew I'd come home. The music, the people, the presence of love and generosity, these all were on display at that first service and every service after. I moved to the Twin Cities carrying prostate cancer inside my body. First you was there. I've been attending the church for a few months. I asked to be placed in the cycle of life when I went into surgery. I had no expectation beyond people holding me in thought and prayer. But I was contacted by a care team who took me to doctor's appointments and brought me meals as I healed. For seven years living in the Twin Cities, First U was always there for me. I left Minnesota in 2018, and now First U is there for me once again, due to the technology of the day. Over this difficult year, I have felt connected and held in services, circles, and conversations with other members and ministers. I feel so fortunate to be reconnected to my forever church home, where for years to come, I hope to continue to give, receive, and grow in the spirit of generosity, kindness, and love. Even from a thousand miles away, First You is still here. Thanks, Frederick, for sharing your story. It has been powerful this year for longtime members and so many new congregants to be connected to this community across distance and space and states and countries even. So um, Frederick, thanks for sharing that story and a reminder of what this faith community means. We are moving toward wrapping up our annual giving campaign on April 18th, that's next Sunday. And we wanna invite all of you who are in the Twin Cities or nearby the Twin Cities to come by the church on the 18th from one to 3 p.m. I'll be out there, Reverend Jen Crow will be out there, other staff and the annual giving team will be out there. We want 
to see you. We want to give you a small gift of appreciation for your support of the ministry of the church. But most importantly, we want to give each other the gift of our presence to actually be able to see one another um, in person. So if you're able to come by next Sunday, one to three, we'll be outside the church, we'll be masked up and practicing COVID safety protocols, but you're welcome to come by as we wrap up our campaign and celebrate what we're able to do together to support our ministry. So welcome once again to this space, as has been our practice all year. We take a little time moving into this hour of worship to settle our bodies and our nervous systems as best we can in a way that works for us. We take three deep, slow, smooth breaths together, resting in that shared breath across the space and across time in this virtual community we've created. We rest in that shared breath. So I invite you to join me in a way that works for you and for your body to engage in this practice. Let's do three breaths together. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Morning, everybody. Um, this morning, I want you to meet a new character. His name is Mullah Nazruddin, and I think I'm saying that properly, but I may not be. His stories are told across the Middle East, so there actually may be more than one pronunciation of his name. And uh, sometimes he's a kid, and sometimes he's an imam, which is a Muslim preacher, and sometimes he's just a guy. But I like him because he makes me laugh, and he teaches me things. And so that's why I want you all to meet him. But actually, he's he's new to me. He's actually really an ancient, ancient character. So once Mullah Nasruddin was in the second grade and his teacher had given the class an assignment to create a drawing and Nasruddin fell asleep. So like right before the class ends, the teacher calls him up to the front of the class and says, okay, show everybody what you drew. And Nasruddin holds up a blank piece of paper. And the teacher says, um, I don't see anything on your paper. And Nasruddin said, oh, I drew a donkey eating grass. And the teacher said, mm, I don't see any grass. And Nasruddin said, oh, the donkey ate it all. And the teacher said, um, I don't see the donkey either. And Nasruddin said, oh, well, once he got done eating the grass, he left. <laughs> There were two men who were arguing in Starbucks and Nasruddin was a bystander. And so one of the guys walks over to Nasruddin and he explains his side of the story. And Nasruddin says, you know what? You're right. And when the second guy overhears Nasruddin affirming his friend's correctness, he comes over, he tells his side of the story and Nasruddin listens attentively and says, 
you know what? You're right. And then the manager comes over and says, come on now, they can't both be right. To which Nasruddin says, you're right. One day Mula was walking with his friends and they were passing by a funeral procession. So one of his friends says, oh, what if that was you in the casket and they were going to talk about you and your life? What would you want people to say about you after you die? And uh, one of his friends said, well, I want people to say that I was a really good doctor who cared for people and that I was also a loving husband and father. And then another one of his friends says, oh, I want everybody to say that I was a great teacher who changed the lives of many young people and that I was known for being honest and being fair. And Nazarene thinks for a second and he says, if I was lying dead in a casket and people were talking about me, I would want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> okay, last story. So Mullah Nasruddin was an imam, right? So one Friday at service, when he stands up to preach, he looks out at the congregation and he starts his sermon by saying, do you know what I am about to say? To which the congregation yells back, no, we don't. And then the Imam says, well, if you don't know, what's the point of me telling you? And he leaves. So the next Friday he stands before the congregation and he asks the same question. Do you know what I am about to tell you? And so the congregation yells out, yes, we do. And so Mullah says to them, well, if you know what I'm about to say, then I don't need to say it. And he leaves, right? So the following Friday, the congregation, they think they know what's going on. And so when he stands up in the pulpit and he says, do you know what I'm about to tell you? Half of the congregation yells out, yes, we do. And half of the congregation yells out, no, we don't. To which he says, well, good. Well, those of you who know, tell those of you who don't know. And then he leaves. And that is Mula Nasruddin. Um, next, you're going to hear from uh, Reverend Justin again. I promise he's going to stick out the whole service. Amy, thank you so much for this story and this introduction to this holy fool, this uh, wise and foolish uh, teacher. And that is, that is what we'll explore today in the in the service in some ways. But before we do that, I want to invite us into a time of prayer, a time of centering, a time of opening really to what is present in our spirits right now. And a time when we might just be present with what is there, whether that is tears or grief or worry, or joy, or gratitude, whatever it might be, and probably it's a blend of those things. Because these days, these days we're in, they are full and complicated days. These are complicated times. More and more people are being vaccinated, and this COVID variant and the variants are on the rise. And the whole world is really focusing on Minneapolis right now in this trial of Derek Chauvin. That is with us, that is with our community and the pain and trauma is with us as well. And we're turning towards spring, 
the rain has brought so much green and so much unfolding and unfurling of buds and blossoms. And there may be a snowstorm. So it's just the middle of the mess, the middle of our lives. We're just right there. So much is beginning, so much is unfolding, so much is uncertain. So let's rest in this moment together. And let's rest in this moment as Franco and Amy lead us in a meditation on breathing. Perhaps that can be the practice or the container that holds us in this time of prayer. This morning, we hold in our prayers, in our care, in our embrace, we hold our Muslim siblings and wish them a Ramadan Kareem, a generous Ramadan. Our hearts are with our Muslim siblings in this time of pandemic when this celebration of family and community and gathering is different and limited. Our hearts are with our Muslim siblings as they celebrate Ramadan. Grief and loss, uncertainty and fear, those are not the whole story or the only story. They are a thread in the tapestry of our lives. And even as we share those hard Threads, I watch you all in the chat virtually, energetically, spiritually reach out to one another and hold and care for one another. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Our lives, the, the tapestry of our lives, they are also woven with joy and gratitude, delight and amazement, wonder and surprise. And so I invite you to think through this week, or the last couple of days, or even this morning, and see if there is something, if there is a person, or an experience, or a moment that brought joy to your heart, that brought a smile to your face, something that filled your cup, something that just invited you to utter the most simple of prayers, that thank you, thank you. 
spirit of love and life, spirit of laughter and tears, spirit of transformation and new beginnings. We pray that the grip of addiction might be loosened, that the weight of oppression may be lightened, that grief would be shared, that joy might break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Blessed be and amen. Let's sing together with David Loth, Spirit of Life. Spirit of life, come unto me, sing in my heart all the stirrings of compassion, blow in the Thank you, Amy and Franco. I just have so much gratitude for the musicians and the music makers in our congregation, lay leaders and um, staff alike. It is remarkable. And I really, as I'm preparing to leave First Universalist um, in early June, I've just been reflecting on the last, um, well, really, it's been many years uh, working with Randy and the choir and just how much that has been a gift to work with Randy. And um, I just want to take a minute actually before, before I leave to say how much I've appreciated Randy's leadership and work with the choir. Um, and we're going to hear a piece from them in just a minute and how much I appreciate um, his understanding of what it takes to make a choir come together to do some of these classical pieces of music, some of these really challenging pieces of music that take practice and rehearsing and kind of a just a, a kind of instruction that I've really come to appreciate. It's not an easy thing to do, Randy, what you do. It's not an easy thing to do choir, what you do. It's not an easy thing to do, uh, Shelley Desolais and Ron Parker and, and others who edit these videos and do the, the visual um, weaving to make this work. So thanks to you all, my understanding uh, and love of some of these classical pieces has really grown because of you. And let's listen to this um, latest piece from the choir. Thank you. 
Thank you, choir. That was fabulous, 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 fabulous. Still laughing every time I watch it, still laughing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So after that playfulness, I want to share some more serious words with you all this morning, some words of weight and uh, deep meaning. Here they are. Owa, tagu, sae. Now, as soon as human beings become self-conscious, a set of questions begin to take root in our minds and in our awareness. Questions like, why am I here? Why am I here on earth? What is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of life? What am I about? What am I supposed to do? What, what does this all mean? And I come back to these sacred words. Owa, tagu, siam. These are holy words, really. Words that might lead us to some of the answers of life's biggest and most vexing questions. Owa, tagu, siam. And I want to invite you to say these words with me, maybe you know these sacred words already, and but you can still say them. You can still feel their their power moving in your mouth and uh, in your lips as you exhale as you say these words. So here's how it goes: Owa, and you say Owa, Tagu, Siam. And I want you to say it a little bit faster now. Owa, tagu, siam. And a little bit quicker. Owa, tagu, siam. Owa, tagu, siam. Oh, what a goose I am. Oh, what a goose I am. Oh, what a crazy goose I am. What a fool. Onk, onk. What a crazy goose I am. Indeed. What silly geese or chickens. We all are sometimes, as we seek to make sense of life, as we face so much we don't know and can't control, as we live with so many norms and rules and structures that we've simply inherited that we slot our lives into, thinking this is just how it goes. Owa tagu saiam. What crazy geese we all are at times. And so maybe the next time you're stressed out or feeling too serious or just not sure what to do, you can repeat these words, Owa tagu siam. And maybe those words can help you, like they help me sometimes, just break out of the prison of the self, that place of 
self-referential thinking, that place of self-importance, to see that we are just, that, that my life, your life, the self is just a tiny piece of this much bigger, miraculous, incomprehensible whole that we're a part of. So let me <laughs> theme most foul. Man, you guys are playing in the chat. This is great. This is great. We're playing. Well, so if you're if you're new, let me just say this. If you joined us for this worship service and you're just here with us live right now and you're wondering, Ooh, what kind of church have I gotten myself into? What is happening here? Let me tell you that today I am drawing wisdom and inspiration from uh, a, a particular book and a lot of holy fools throughout history. Um, the book is called Crazy Wisdom by a, a man named Ness Whisker. And in this book, he writes, and this is sort of the, the guiding principle for today's sermon. He writes, we live in a world of too much seriousness and much of our serious behavior is ritualized and rationalized nonsense. And too often, religion contributes to this ritualized and rationalized nonsense, teaching, for example, that women should obey men, or that sex or pleasure outside of a marriage or outside of a man and a woman is a sinful thing. And at the same time, within every religious tradition, there are holy fools. There are tricksters and gestures, jesters and others who upend convention. I'm thinking of the Zen master who asks, where can I find a person who has forgotten words? I would like to have a word with him or her or them. Or I think of the Buddha or Jesus or Dorothy Day, so many others, all holy fools of sorts, all challengers to conventional truth, all masters on some level of divine foolishness, each in their own way exploding the norms and defying the expectations and playing and messing with the status quo of their time, the religious thinking or the societal structures of their time. And if we're open to it, these holy fools expand our minds with their folly and their parables, and they work to dismantle our idols of seriousness and certainty. They play with us and play with what we think we know. So speaking of play, I saw some of you playing in the chat earlier. <laughs> You're still playing. <laughs> I love it. I wonder how many of you know the game Hink Pink. Uh, it works like this. You think of two words that rhyme, and then you give a clue. You make up a clue about those two words. You don't use those words, but you give a clue to help folks guess what those words are. So for example, a clue might be an overweight feline. And it's a hink pink, which means that each word is one syllable. So an overweight feline. Uh, if, each, if each word was two syllables, it would be a hinky pinky. If each word was three syllables, it would be a hinkity pinkity. That's how the clues work. So, hey, someone already put it in the chat. I was going to say, if you know it, you can put it in the chat. So are you with me? An overweight feline, it's a hink pink, it's a fat cat. Here's another one. It's a hinky pinky, a fruit that belongs in a small place of worship. A fruit that belongs in a small place of worship. It's a hinky pinky and you can throw the answer, bam, apple chapel or a chapel apple. You got it. Oh, this is great. You got, you're, you're on this, you're on this. Are we having fun yet? I hope we're having some fun. It's good to have fun because so much of life and so much of my own life and our 
lives in this time are uh, quite serious. We spend a lot of time, and, and we should, rightly so. There is a lot that is concerning and serious in the world around us right now. Just off the top of my head, I can think of the environmental crisis we're in, the climate crisis that we're in, the trial of Derek Chauvin. I can think about countless other things that demand our attention and our serious topics. That's real, that is serious stuff. But despite all of that, we are built, <laughs> we are built, I'm loving you all in the chat. Oh, so good. We are built for playfulness. We are built for playfulness and holy foolishness and creativity. And these practices, this holy foolishness can open us up to new ways of seeing and being. For example, it is prophetic playfulness to suggest that we abolish the police, that we defund the police, that there are other and better ways to ensure community safety. To hold that idea, to play with that possibility frees us up to imagine something so much more life-giving for our entire community. Playfulness leads to creative expression. And I really do believe that playfulness is at the heart of the universe. Think of it this way. The universe, which we are intimately connected to, and so if playfulness is at the heart of the universe, playfulness can be in our hearts as well, in our DNA, if you will. The universe has been playing for nearly 15 billion years. Ever since the Big Bang, the universe has playfully and magically unfolded as galaxies, as stars, as planets, as nebula, as black holes. Ever since our planet formed, the sun's energy radiating across the earth has playfully been transformed into such things as dinosaurs, grass, geraniums, giraffes, seagulls, redwood trees, human beings, you. So much of what, of, of what is around us is a playful, creative expression of the sun's energy. I call this holy or godly play because at the heart of the universe, there seems to be this playful, creative force always creating new expressions of life, open to the possibility of playful interactions that some new life might emerge. Maybe you're still not convinced, and I know there have been moments when I look out around Earth at least, and I think this playfulness thing just doesn't resonate, but let me share another story with you. This is a story that comes from the Institute for Play and the setting is the early 1990s. On a late October day on the Canadian tundra next to the cold but unfrozen Hudson Bay, it looked like a beautiful young husky was about to become one dead dog. Hudson, the name of the husky, was comfortably lounging on a fresh bed of snow and was tethered on a long chain. Suddenly out on the white horizon, there appeared a 1,200 pound male polar bear. Biologists had been tracking and recording the movements of this and other polar bears in the area. They had observed that this particular bear and his companions had not eaten for nearly four months because ice had not formed on the bay and the bears could not hunt their favorite prey, seals. As the bear moved toward him, toward the dog, instead of baring his teeth or snarling or howling, Husky, the dog, waved and wagged his tail, 
grinned a doggy grin and crouched in a bow to the bear, signaling an invitation to play. If you have a dog, you know this signal where they kind of bow down and it's like, hey, game on, let's play. To the amazement of the biologists who looked at the photographs they took after this encounter, the bear they could see in the photos also approached Husky with this in signaling an intention to play, this kind of loose walk, this playful walk, this playful, these playful gestures on his face and with the way his facial expressions looked. And within seconds, this enormous bear and uh, North America's luckiest dog, as, this, as the Institute calls Husky, they were wrestling and cavorting in the snow in front of the cameras of these and these amazed scientists. At one point, the bear wrapped himself like a white wool comforter around the husky in an embrace. The polar bear returned several times to play over the next few weeks until ice formed on the bay and he was able to hunt a seal meal. That's a hink pink for those of you keeping track. So there's something about play and surprise and wonder that is embedded in creation itself. But you wouldn't necessarily guess that from the seriousness of most religions and their clergy who can be downright scary in their rigidity and their kind of their teachings, kind of mean in some of those teachings. Here's a hinkity pinkity, three syllables, each word, three syllables. Here's a hinkity pinkity to describe this reality. The clue is a scary or frightening clergy person a scary or frightening clergy person. Get your fingers ready in the chat. You got it? Oh, sinister minister. Bam. These sinister ministers should be charged with the high crime of another hinky pinky of using, and this is the clue, the holy scriptures in a slanderous way to hurt the reputation of another Oh, man. Lisa, on it with the Bible libel. Yes, Bible libel. It is the holy fools. It is the divine mad people who keep the sinister ministers and the Bible libel at bay, reminding us to take ourselves less seriously, to be less declarative in what we think we know about God or life or the universe or the way things should be, and instead to surrender some of that knowing and live in the mystery. Play and playfulness and seeming foolishness can unlock something in us. And it can perhaps help us find a way forward when we're at an impasse. So I wanna share with you now an anecdotal story about uh, a summit meeting. And this may have happened. I actually did some more research on this. And I think that there, um, it's, it could have happened. There was definitely um, something like this happened, but I'm not sure if it's exactly true word for word. So there's this anecdotal story told about a summit between Prime Minister um, Gorbachev and President Ronald Reagan. It wasn't going well, and they had failed to reach agreement on this uh, nuclear disarmament um, treaty that they were working on, or the agreement they were working on, um, trying to slow down the arms race. And as the story goes, despite this, the two came back together again for a final breakfast. 
And Reagan began the meal by telling American jokes, which were reciprocated by Russian jokes to everyone's delight and amusement. Reagan told one about an old Russian woman who goes into the Kremlin, gets an audience with Gorbachev and says, in America, anyone can go to the White House, walk up to Reagan's desk and say, I don't like the way you are running the country. And Gorbachev replied, you know, you can do the same thing in the Soviet Union. You can go into the Kremlin, walk up to my desk and say, I don't like the way Reagan is running his country. <laughs> and during the breakfast, Reagan and Gorbachev swapped jokes and told stories and no business was discussed at all. This is how the story goes. And then surprisingly, after breakfast, the summit was resumed by mutual agreement and was ultimately successful. Clearly, there are many factors in this, in this story. I'm not even sure if it's, a, if it's literally true, but I think there's enough truth there that as a teaching for us. But part of what happened there was the magic of play, the magic of playfulness, of cracking through the conventional framework of seriousness. So what do these lessons about play and playfulness and holy fools mean for us today? Well, for human beings and others, play can be a universal training course that builds trust. If you feel safe enough to play with another, to laugh, to joke, to find something funny about the human condition and be connected to others through that, then out of those experiences, trust can be formed. Intimacy can be formed, cooperation can be formed, and creativity can be formed. And if we can play with our families, with our neighbors, with our communities, with, with other people, then our sense of trust and possibility and creativity can expand as well. And it really, it seems to me with the challenges facing our world, the challenges, and they are tremendous challenges, serious challenges facing our world, surely play and surely holy foolishness have a role. Deadly seriousness and certainty have gotten us into the mess we're in. And I wonder if play and holy play might be part of the answer to get us out. Maybe we need, as author Joseph Meeker suggests, a play ethic, something that reminds us of the importance of play, that the point of play is to play, and that in play, everyone can be equal and roles can change. Rules are negotiable from moment to moment, and play produces strength and skills for the players and can stimulate the imagination. A play ethic can encourage mutual playfulness and creativity, and that might help us respond to tremendous challenges in really new ways. And surely with 8 billion people and counting, as we face unprecedented challenges and opportunities in our global community, maybe play is what the world needs more than anything else. And so this morning I say to the clowns, and the pranksters, the jokesters, and the fools from all parts of the world. Owa, tagu, siam. Bring it on. We're ready for creative, holy play.
godly play. Let's play. Amen. Amen. So friends, as our service draws toward a close, I want to share this blessing with you, offered in a real spirit of love, of care, and of kindness as I speak to you from my basement in my home as we do church together online, holding each other, caring for one another. As I prepare to step back from my ministry with you all, I want to offer this blessing for this vibrant community, this playful community, this community that has shaped my heart and left such a deep impression on me. So I share these words with you. Amidst the troubles and the heartbreak of this world, may you know laughter and love and playfulness. Amidst the grief of this world, may you also know joy and delight. Today and all days, may you be blessed and may you be a blessing. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.